Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is a Lip Media Podcast. Buckle up, Sodomites, and welcome to the Sinister Sissies podcast, your guide to gay true crime, horror, and everything man-on-man and macabre. I'm Jared, your master of depravity, and I am staring at the wonderful, beautiful little face of my dirty little slave, Sam Hamilton. Oh, a rare compliment. I'll take it, master. Yes, yes. Well, we're, we're, we're role modeling good S&M relationships today because we're going to look at some bad ones. Uh, and Sam is taking the helm today. He's done most of the research. What are we talking about today, Sam? We are talking about Bruce MacArthur, who, yes, he was very into the uh, rougher, darker side of S&M. Um, he is arguably Canada's most notorious slash famous serial killer and definitely Canada's most um, famous gay serial killer. Um, he's quite unique. And fairly recent as yeah, well. So Bruce MacArthur was active as a murderer, to our knowledge, from 2010 to 2017, and charges were laid in t- 2018. So yeah, as Jared said, this is a quite a recent and partially ongoing slice of history. So what do we know about this Bruce character? Bruce MacArthur was born October 8th, 1951. Um, so he was actually extremely old by serial killer standards you know most people get their start in you know their late 20s early 30s around the same age that jared and i currently are but bruce didn't start till his late 50s i haven't been inspired yet well you know you're still in that early 30s bracket jared there is time so yes he was arrested at age 66 so yeah quite a late bloomer so he was raised on a farm in Lindsay, ontario in canada he had a sister and his parents often fostered up to 10 kids at any one time. So that's like 12 kids, one household, a whole lot of attention that probably wasn't on Bruce, which probably explains why he loved being a goody-goody in school and participating in things like singing competitions, where he was often victorious and got a lot of validation. So in case it's not clear by now, uh, Bruce was a little gay boy who enjoyed singing. We've all got our, I was going to say it was our vices, but I think his vice was killing. His hobby was singing. That was a positive. Singing can be a vice for some people. Well, if you hear me sing, it's definitely a vice um, to anyone else who's listening. (laughs) So Bruce's parents were both devoutly religious, um, but his mum was Irish Catholic and his dad was Scottish Presbyterian. Controversial. His parents were often fighting over their religious beliefs. He also had epilepsy, which is a common tie with... um, 
several serial killers. That's interesting to know. I was going to say, but but by serial killer standards, uh, doesn't sound that bad. I mean, maybe if he had that attention from his parents growing up, things would be different now. I don't know. Who knows? I believe, Jared, you can correct me on this, but sometimes epilepsy can be linked to a lack of impulse control. A certain form of epilepsy, the name of which escapes me at the moment, but there is a particular version of epilepsy that correlates very, very well with um, serial killers and, and killing. I think it's called grand mall seizures, um, which... I believe the theory behind the connection between serial killing and these kind of grand mal seizures is that it might um, have play a role in inhibiting impulse control. And if you can imagine, you know, uh, not everyone who has these seizures, of course, is going to have killer motivations or anything like that. But for those that do have those motivations, having your impulses in you know inhibited in some way is probably going to make it more likely that you're going to act on them. Yes, no way trying to suggest that any epileptic person um, is you know going to become a serial. Never trust an epileptic person. Look, up. everyone is a potential killer. Look, you said it, not me, Jared. So Bruce married his high school sweetheart Janice. They graduated in 1970, and um, they got married at 23. So I'm going to assume this was in the mid 70s at some point. Around the time he married Janice, Bruce became a buyer assistant for Eden's department store, just a few streets away from what was becoming Toronto's gay village. Coincidence? I'm not sure. Interestingly, Bruce MacArthur also moonlit as the Santa Claus at the local mall during Christmas time. He actually looks a lot like a cuddly Santa Claus. Certainly doesn't look like somebody who would violently fuck you and kill you, that's for sure. Things are going well for Bruce, but he lost both of his parents um, between 1978 and 1981, which I can only imagine was quite traumatic. Bruce and his father didn't have the closest relationship, but when he became unwell, the mother actually met another man, and this sort of steered Bruce's closeness, I guess, away from the mum and towards the dad, Mm. which is quite interesting because a similar thing happened with, I believe it was Gacy. He became very close to his dad, who he'd always struggled to have a relationship with, right in the lead-up to his father's death. His father passed away in 1981, and soon after Bruce's first child, Melanie, was born, And then in 1986, his son Todd was born. The troubled Todd. Yes, Todd is very troubled and we will get to that. Uh, Yeah, and by a bit, I mean a lot. So Bruce became very active in church in the 80s. Did watch an interview um, for a Canadian TV show where one of his fellow churchgoers said they weren't surprised when he came out. So I'm not sure what that was, you know, getting at. If I don't know, he confided in anyone at the church or if he was just a bit of a, you know, like bubbly man. His beautiful singing voice. In the early 90s, Bruce came out to his wife. Uh, They kept on living together and sort of, I guess, stayed in a companionship type situation. And I think the the timing on this is quite important as well because this is after both his parents had died. And so I think that he had essentially waited for both of his parents to pass away before he started to explore that kind of gay side of his life. But then, you know, things kind of went downhill for him when he became unemployed in the mid-90s At around the same time, his son Todd was in hot water for making obscene phone calls. Um, We don't know what the nature of these phone calls were, but they were enough that he ends up in jail later in life as a result of them. So, you know, they probably weren't just heavy breathing. Yeah, quite obscene. The wife was out of the picture in the late 90s and a man was in the picture. So they had a four-year relationship. He actually broke up with his boyfriend as his divorce was becoming finalised. He started seeing a psychiatrist and was put on Prozac, which is, I'm sure as most people know, an antidepressant. So, you know, Bruce was having some issues. 
Halloween 2001 is when everything started to go downhill. Um, so Bruce had become acquainted with a sex worker. I think that they may have, you know, met before. Um, the sex worker felt confident enough to invite Bruce up to their apartment. Um, so this is at about lunchtime on Halloween 2001. Um, Bruce comes up to the apartment with a sex worker, but little does the sex worker know that Bruce has a large pipe which he hits him over the back of the head with. This is the first documented instance that we have of Bruce acting violently. And I say documented, we'll get into this a little bit later. Um, We don't know if this is the first violent act that he's ever done, but this is the first documented case that we have. Bruce claimed he didn't actually remember the attack, um, but he turned himself into the police. It was potentially speculated by um, Bruce's legal team that his behaviour was linked to Amel and his anti-seizure medication interacting negatively. This idea of him blacking out and acting violently, so acting suddenly very violently, is something that we'll see continuing on past this event. Um, And the defence lawyer, I guess, theorised that maybe this could have been brought about by some sort of drug interaction. Yeah, that's correct. Basically, they blamed it on the poppers. There was a psychiatric report that was made at the time. It um, it noted that Bruce was of low risk of reoffending and didn't have any indications of psychopathy, um, which is interesting. Um, although that 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 explains some of the things that happened later in terms of um, Bruce's ultimate sentence. And correctly, correct me if I'm wrong, Sam was a period of home detention and other community-based orders for like a period of what, two to three years or something. He ended up, yeah, just having house arrest for a year and then a six-month curfew yeah. um, with three years probation after that. I mean, that's still, a, that's pretty, that's a pretty intense sentence for an assault, they, but they did not see him as an ongoing risk to the community and that they thought they could monitor him in the community, which says something about what they were thinking at that time. Yes, he had a record um, suspension, which he has, yeah, it was all effectively expunged. It's quite concerning because at the time when it was officially expunged, uh, Bruce had actually officially started killing. Which is important um, a little bit later on as to why he wasn't identified earlier. This earlier violent event didn't come up on his criminal record because I believe after... 10 years had passed. I may be incorrect on that. They managed to actually have his record expunged. I'm definitely a big believer in rehabilitation and, you know, people's mistakes not haunting them for the rest of their lives, particularly if it was just one incident. But it turned out this was many more than one incident. Like, I'm a big believer in these kind of spent conviction schemes and these expungement of conviction schemes. Um, I can understand on the information that the legal system had at that point, that there was this one-off violent event with no longer criminal history, why they thought it was appropriate to do that at the time. It's just one of those things that looked really bad in retrospect. So Bruce uh, was obviously had this one incident, but otherwise was kind of exploring his gay side. But he'd got a bit of a reputation at this point, didn't he? Bruce was noted in the local BDSM community for being particularly rough. So in 2002, he joined Recon, a gay fetish dating site. He was also on many um, greatly named websites, uh, such as Silver Daddies, Man Jam, Squirt, Bear 411, Daddy Hunt. Oh, hell, I should join that one. Squirt, Grinder, you know, all the usuals, really. I like Man Jam. I like Man Jam too. Never heard of it, but I, um, I'm, I'm up for exploring. 
He posted several pictures on one of his profiles of younger men of South Asian or Middle Eastern descent. So this would prove to be his MO for loving and for killing. I won't get into it now, but that also, that that demographic uh, poses a number of obstacles and a number of controversies in terms of the police investigation of this case. Yeah, and even the public and community reactions. So yes, it's going to be instrumental Take notes. So since around 2007, he moved to Forncliffe Park as well, which is a neighbourhood that um, is comprised largely of migrants to Canada. So he had, a, he had his own apartment there, and one of his son's friends came over one day, actually, and noticed that he had a lot of pictures of, quote-unquote, East Indian guys. So what do we know about um, Bruce's victims? So Bruce's victims were primarily refugees or migrants who had, you know, little to no um, connections to the local gay scene. And often their families didn't even know that they were gay. So this kind of put a bit of a hold on the police, you know, piecing together the vital um, parts of the puzzle because you have these people disappearing, but there aren't clear connections like there may have been if they were, you know, more actively involved in the gay scene or if people in their lives, you know, were more aware of their sexualities. So the first known victim is Skandaraj Skanda Navatram. Apologies for my pronunciation there. So he was last seen on the morning of September 6, 2010, leaving Zippers. Yes, that's a real name. A former village gay bar um, with an unknown man who we can only assume was Bruce. So he wasn't reported missing until almost a week later. I guess he didn't have very many people in his life that were you know, aware of his day-to-day activities, and he had no family members in Canada at all. And he was a um, refugee from Sri Lanka. He was actually involved romantically with Bruce, and he'd actually known him for over 10 years. Bruce has also started a landscaping business in this time, and Skandarov was one of his employees. MacArthur's next two victims were Abdul Basir Basir Faizi and Majid Hamid Kahan. Like Skandaraj Navaratnam, they were last seen in the vicinity of the gay village or had evidence of credit card use or bank statements that showed that they had withdrawn money or, you know, spent money in that kind of neck of the woods, you know? Both Abdul Basir and Majid were immigrants from Afghanistan. Well, a, a lot of these men were kind of uh, bears, like they were kind of that part of that bear subculture, which overlaps obviously a lot with the BDSM scene as well. And so I think um, the kinds of bars that, that Bruce liked to frequent were these kind of like leather bear um, type bars. I, I think it's important to note at this point as well that we, we can't really give details, too much details of the killings themselves because a, a lot of that has not been released to the public. The, the narrative that we can presume happened in terms of these killings is that they met Bruce for consensual sexual activities. The sexual activities likely involved some degree of S&M. That got really really rough what we do know is that at least two of the victims were killed using a metal bar that like had a kind of like a rope attached to it um to kind of turn it into like a garrote he would kind of like rotate the bar and that would in turn put pressure on the rope and on the neck definitely not a pleasant way to go out i imagine ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What we know for sure is that every victim died of strangulation. Mm. So at this point, we've got three men that have disappeared. And I think... A lot of people would be thinking at this point in the narrative of, well, didn't anyone notice this? Well, they were reported as missing persons at this point, and there were initial investigations at play at this point. I don't know if a task force had been set up yet, Sam? There was a police operation called Project Houston, um, which ran for 18 months and started in November 2012. So this kind of focused primarily at first on the disappearance of Skandaraj. Eventually, Abdul Basir and Majid were both tied into this investigation as all three victims had gone missing in a gauge district and were all immigrants. So this, this investigation had started and there, there were tentative links between the men in terms of all being of migrant backgrounds of a similar type, of a similar middle age type range, and having um, frequented this particular part of the gay district. However, there was not enough evidence at that point to say that there had been foul play. Um, And so essentially these three disappearances were declared essentially unexplainable disappearances at this point. But I think it was just harder for the police to make that link because, yeah, um, they were living double lives or private about their sexuality. In 2016, they still had no explanation and it had kind of all gone cold. And also, I imagine it would have been difficult as well because Bruce does take a bit of a break at this point, doesn't he? As Jared said, Bruce took a little break and his next victim was thought to be Sarush Mahmoodi. So he was 50 years old and he was last seen alive near his home. It's suspected that he was killed on the 15th of August, 2015, and he was last seen on the 14th. So we can only imagine that this probably happens in the early hours. Mahmoudi was a refugee from Iran who didn't have any connections to Canada until he met his wife. So his wife is the one who reported him missing, and that was kind of his only solid connection in Canada. So the next victim, a little bit confusing because he actually had gone missing several months prior to his murder, but this is, that's Karushna Kumar Kanagaratnam, who was a refugee from Sri Lanka who had been served a deportation order, um, except he was in hiding and working sort of low-key as a cleaner and a mover. It's this kind of confusing timeline where he's reported missing, um, but we think that but the police think that he was probably killed sometime after this um, because he originally went underground to avoid authorities. And Karushna was suspected as to have been killed on the 6th of January, 2016. Bruce laid low for a couple of months before striking again with Dean Lissowick. So Dean was homeless, a former drug user, speculated to be a sex worker. He was trying to get his life together, but, you know, obviously this was kind of put to a standstill when he was killed by Bruce, suspected to be on or about the 23rd of April, 2016. So up until this point, we know that Bruce has a particular type of of man that he is interested in. And so there's a bit of speculation about the degree to which he targeted um, men of migrant backgrounds or men that were, were going through some really troubled times because he knew he could get away with, you know, targeting that vulnerable population and getting away with it, or whether or not they just correlated with the particular type that he had in mind, that kind of submissive type of man. He wasn't reported missing by anyone. He had little to no connections to the outside community. When he went missing, it was kind of like nothing happened. 
It was about a year before Bruce's next victim, so he sort of, you know, laid low, stuck to his MO. His next victim was Salima Sen, a Turkish citizen with a history of drug use. Salim went missing on the 20th of March 2017, and it wasn't until a month later that he was actually reported missing. He also went missing in the vicinity of the gay village. Things really kicked off when Bruce uh, killed his final victim. Andrew Kinsman. And Andrew's quite interesting for a lot of reasons, but he is kind of credited as being that victim that broke the typical um, Bruce MacArthur MO. He was very well ingrained in the local gay community. He was white and he had a lot of friends, family and connections and he'd actually known Bruce for quite some time as well. His disappearance is kind of what's credited with kickstarting the whole investigation into Bruce and also the source of a lot of the controversies, you know, why was attention only brought to these crimes when a white man was killed? The strange thing about Andrew, this final victim, is that he was also very obsessed with uh, serial killers. Eerily obsessed, in fact. Um, he had a particular obs- sort of obsessional interest in Dennis Nielsen, who's a UK-based serial killer, and he was found with some drawings and sort of some pieces of writing that Dennis had done, like, on his computer. In a folder that was labelled Pictures Slash Murder. Also quite interesting is that he had 12 photos of Bruce MacArthur in this same folder. Which is bizarre, because it just makes you think of that that, that he had in his mind that Bruce MacArthur fell within the category of all the other men that were in that folder, which raises a whole host of other questions about how much did Andrew know about Bruce's killings before he he disappeared and was killed himself. Yeah, so there is some speculation. So allegedly Andrew had actually told one of his work colleagues that he'd met another guy who also shared his love of like serial killers and like kind of the darker side of life. And that they'd, you know, been hanging out quite often. He never revealed the name of this friend, but I think it's safe to assume it could have been Bruce. Perhaps he was killed because he found out too much. Obviously, neither of us are going to judge people for having morbid interest in serial killers. No. Um, that's, that's entirely what we're about. There is speculation about whether or not Andrew knew more um, than just having someone that had a shared interest, whether or not... Um, he was actually suspected that Bruce was doing killing, which is which is such a fascinating component to this. Completely unprovable, but very fascinating to think about. Yeah, I, I think definitely the fact that obviously Andrew deviates so much from the MO that Bruce had established with his victims in just like every way you could think of. You know, I, th- I feel like this theory does have a little bit of weight, but yeah, obviously we can never know for sure unless Bruce himself says something, which... I don't think he has at this point. So that was Bruce's final victim. How was he eventually caught? Basically when Andrew Kinsman went missing because he was such a prolific member of the gay community in Toronto. He also disappeared the day after Gay Pride. So, you know, this was kind of like a pretty hot topic. There was a Facebook group um, called Missing Rainbow Community that was made, you know, trying to resolve any missing LGBT And this sort of led to Project Prism, which was a really high-end police operation, um, one of Toronto's biggest. There'd never really been anything like it before. And links were also made um, between Kinsman's disappearance and also Slim Ascend's disappearance. So they kind of became the focal points of this investigation. Not all of the victims... Yeah. Not all of the victims were tied into either of these task forces or... Not all of the victims were tied into either of these... 
not all of this not all of the disappearance not all of the disappearances were linked to either of these task forces but where links could be made um, the task force would focus on these disappearances and ones that were similar to try and kind of see if they were related and get to the bottom of them and I, I think there were suspicions at this point that there may be a serial killer um, targeting gay men. So people were starting to make early connections here of a string of missing persons. At this point, you know, Andrew's disappearance is getting a lot of heat. It so happens that Andrew had a calendar entry saying that he was going to be meeting Bruce. After that, neighborhood surveillance footage was found um, and Bruce's car was conveniently in the footage. So they've got him in his sights in terms of the last person that Andrew had seen. Bruce had gotten a little bit rough with another boy um, during a sexual incident. Like, there was no murder that took place. But in 2016, he had been reported to the police for, I guess, violating somebody in a way they didn't want to be violated. Violating in this pattern that we were talking about earlier, where um, obviously he was a dominant guy, he was into really submissive guys, um, but Bruce went from zero to 100 when he was with people. It wasn't this classic S&M type relationship where there was kind of an exchange of power. There was definitely no off button when it came to Bruce's impulses. Let's just say that. When they searched his his van, they also found Salim Asen's DNA. So, you know, things are looking very suspicious. With this evidence, amongst other things, the police were able to secure permission to covertly search Bruce's apartment, including downloading the contents of his computer. Let's just say that when they searched Bruce's computer, they found some previously deleted images, which gave them every reason to put 24-hour surveillance on him. Bruce's would-be ninth victim, who hasn't been identified, went over to the apartment for some consensual sexual intercourse, and let's just say things are getting a little bit gnarly, probably wasn't going to go in a good direction, but the police barged in and made the arrest just in the nick of time. This is... This is such a weird scenario in my head of like going around to some hookups place and you're starting to get kind of kinky and then the police raid because you're potentially at risk of being murdered. It does sound like the person involved was quite traumatized by the incident as they haven't had their name released um, to the general public. And now I guess we can tell you about some of the really gnarly stuff he had on his computer. And he had a folder for each victim where he would have photos of the victims and also commonly photos of them wearing the same fur coat but dead. The would-be ninth victim actually already had a folder dedicated to him on the computer as well. So obviously Bruce had planned to kill him and was collecting, I don't know what kind of photos he would keep of the victims, but it seems like he'd keep some happy ones and also some dead ones. He had photos of the corpses posed in really ritualistic ways, all involving this fur coat. Do we know what the symbolism with the fur coat was? We don't know the origins of the fur coat. If anyone does, hit us up. I can only assume it sort of like throws back to Bruce growing up on the farm and maybe he did some hunting or something. But yeah, there's nothing that I'm aware of. Because unlike a lot of serial killers, Bruce hasn't really ha- made, I don't think he's made really any public statements. You know, like all the prolific serial killers, um, like, you know, Gacy, Dharma, etc. They've done these tell-all interviews. So we kind of know a little bit more about their motivation. So the fact that after he killed them, he posed them in, in different ways raises a lot of intriguing questions for me because... Um, you know, sometimes you often talk about serial killers in the form of process killers or product killers. So like process killers are interested in the, 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 uh, the act itself of killing someone, right? And Bruce being a, a sexual sadist, um, I would have thought that his entire thing would have been the act of killing the victim. 
but he clearly wanted the body as well. Not as much as, say, Dharma, who, you know, Dharma was all about the body. You know, the process to him wasn't very pleasant. It was all about having the body and playing around with the body. Um, Bruce seemed to have a bit of both. He seemed to have a bit of that kind of processy um, motivation and also just wanting this to to take photos of, which is such an interesting motivation. Very much like Dharma, Bruce but in a different a way. landscaping business. And, yeah, there was a particular property where I guess he thought the police aren't going to ever pay attention to this place. Now known as the infamous Leaside House. Eerily enough, uh, the couple who lived there, like an older couple, uh, they actually renewed their vows there after the bodies were discovered. The fact that he dismantled the bodies and hid them in the way that he did actually raised a lot of questions in investigators' minds because that's a very sophisticated way of dealing with a body. You know, that's not someone who's gone on a recent spree, killed a couple of people and has been freaking out. He thought through being able to dismember the body and where to place it where the investigators were least likely to look. And that's led to some speculation about whether or not the victims that we've identified and talked about in this episode, whether they were Bruce's As I mentioned victims. at the beginning of the episode, Bruce allegedly didn't start killing until his late 50s which is very unusual for serial killers. They usually become active at around our age, late 20s, early 30s. Um, and it is speculated that Bruce may have been involved in some killings in the late 70s, which ravaged the Toronto and Canadian gay community, but nothing has been confirmed. But yeah, we don't have any definitive evidence about that. But I think Jared raises a really interesting point that, yeah, it didn't seem like his first day at the rodeo. So as we mentioned, the police um, found the remains of several men in planter boxes at a residence where MacArthur used to do frequent work at, or he at least stored his landscaping equipment there. MacArthur was arrested on January 18, 2018, and he pled guilty on January 29, 2019. So this is very recent. He pleaded guilty to all eight counts and was subsequently sentenced to life imprisonment with no parole for at least 25 years. And there's currently a review happening in relation to the police response. Um, there's been a lot of outrage and a lot of accusations that either the police were acting in a biased manner, some sort of implicit bias matter in terms of sexuality or race in relation to the investigations, that that review is still going on to see whether or not they've done anything wrong here. I think if there is going to be some allegations of bias or structural bias here, I mean, the fact that a lot of the earlier cases involved migrant men or refugee men um, where they were, they were very readily to view them as just simply missing person cases and not indicative of any kind of foul play, um, that's probably where that stuff's going to happen. But we're going to have to wait and see uh, at the end of that review whether or not there's some solid allegations against the police and how they've handled this matter. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, Andrew Kinsman being, like, the only white victim and being the one to kind of really, like, kickstart the investigation doesn't necessarily... I mean, it, it does sort of shed some light on, I guess, certain communities that are marginalised within our already marginalised community. Andrew was, like, a bartender at, like, a gay bar and, you know, he knew a lot of people and he was an activist. So naturally he is going to be the kind of victim to draw a lot of attention. Like, I, you know, we, I don't, I'm sure if he was Middle Eastern and still a bartender at a popular gay bar and an, a queer activist, I'm sure, you know, there would be, there would have been a similar reaction to him going missing just because he was the only kind of public figure as far as the gay scene went, you know? 
I think what fascinates me so much about this case is that, you know, I'm used to hearing about uh, Jeffrey Dahmer and John Wayne Gacy and kind of having this view of these types of serial killers being something that was like in the past, like something that, you know, everyone talks about the peak of serial killings in the 60s and stuff. But um, what Bruce MacArthur indicates is that these types of guys are still around. And, you know, now with modern technology at their fingertips to help lure their victims. It's, it's both unnerving and fascinating. Uh, yeah, to say the least. Bruce could be the anchor for a whole new generation of gay serial killers, but let's hope not. Thank you for listening to the Sinister Sissies podcast. You can follow us on Instagram at sinister underscore sissies or on Twitter at sinister sissies no underscore. Jared's also on Twitter at Jared Bartle. That's Jared with a Y. Until next time, stay sinister.